the game for Philly Press Box Radio, Bill Furman and Jim Chet Chesko. It's Wednesday, September 11th, 2019. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Chet, the Eagles win. The Phillies are floundering, at least tonight, or who knows. The fans are fighting with Mike Scott. Flyers camp is getting ready to start. Never a dull moment in Philly sports. Yeah, you know it. There's a lot going on, Bill, always. We'll get to all of that, of course. Well, maybe not hockey. Too early to talk hockey, Bill. You know that. Uh, But we keep riding off the Phillies, and they continue to hang in there. I don't know how they're doing it. They're within striking distance of that second wild card, teasing us. We'll get to that in a bit after football. And, folks, be sure to stick around because a bit later, Bill's going to review Meek Mill's performance before last Thursday's kickoff game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Can't wait for that opportunity. I'm glad you you threw that out there. It, that was uh, I had missed that. <laughs> you caught well, it. You, you loved it. Yeah, go ahead. Oh my goodness. Hey, the Eagles put together a nice second half. Come from behind, beat the Redskins, open the season. Not as pretty as we might have liked, but all wins are good wins. And and I can't say I'm really surprised that it went the way it did. Yeah, we talked with Ray Dinger last week about the possibility they'd be a little rusty in the season opener, and that was certainly the case in the first half anyway. But the second 30 minutes were almost perfect on both sides of the ball for the Birds, and most importantly, as you said, they got the W. Yes, sir. And, hey, we're going to get a lot deeper into that game shortly. And we also have our annual visit from former Villanova standout, former Eagle and Falcon and present Atlanta sports show host, to talk Eagles, Falcons, Brian Finnernan will be joining us. And we'll be talking Phillies with the Phillies Nation's Brian Michael a little bit later on. That's going to be interesting to get Brian Michael's perspective on how this season has played out. Yeah, Brian Michael and his guys at Phillies Nation do a great job covering the Phillies when things are going well or not so well. And by the way, Bill, you know we sometimes take requests from our devoted listeners here on the show. And we had a request today, so get ready to sing, Bill, because I want to hear you. Here we go. Take it, Bill. The hills are alive with the sound of music. Oh, I didn't hear you, Bill. I didn't hear you. Beautiful song. Yeah, you can hear me. (laughs) You sound like Uh, Julie Andrews. Yes. Well, and uh, and actually, uh, the story behind that is uh, in one of our uh, Collingdale High School posts, they were talking about the plays that were done uh, over the years, and my sister was actually the lead in The Sound of Music way back. I was in about the seventh grade. She was in the twelfth grade, and uh, so everybody in the house knew all the lines to the show because she was constantly practicing with whoever was around to practice. So we all knew the lines, we all knew the songs, and uh, shoot, it's been a long, long time, and we still all know the words. You know, I was never in a musical, but I was actually the lead in our high school senior play. It was a thing called It Happens Every Summer, I think, and I played a photographer, and uh, I know I have no memories about it beyond that, but I never had to sing, fortunately. Well, that's where Bob Sullivan came up with that to uh, to mess with me about singing, and uh, I could I could probably still tell you the words from the show, but uh, and not so much on the on the singing. Okay, we'll, we'll let that go then. <laughs> All right. 
Well, hey, Chet, let's talk a little bit about the Eagles game. Uh, you know, I think the big surprise, obviously, Deshaun Jackson, eight catches, 154 yards, two touchdowns, 250-plus yarders. Uh, what a great show for Deshaun, and uh, Carson knew where to look. Yeah, boy, he was happy to be back, and the fans loved it. He's not going to catch eight balls every game. He's not going to get a couple of touchdowns every game. But what he's going to do, I think, is draw a lot of attention from the defenders, the secondary, every single game, which will help open up the other guys as the season goes on. So a great addition and a great return performance for Deshaun Jackson. And I can't wait to see you know, what some of these other guys are going to do in the weeks ahead because so many, so many defenders are paying attention to D-Jacks. Well, you know, you say he's not going to catch eight, eight balls a game, and that's probably true. But Carson uh, Wentz, 28-39, 313, three touchdowns. But maybe more importantly than all that, eight different receivers caught passes this week. So you're right, Deshaun's not going to catch eight every week, but they are loaded with weapons. Yeah, and, I mean, they didn't even have a big game from Zach Ertz. They didn't get much from Dallas Goddard. I don't even know the, the rookie J.J. caught a pass at all. I know he was out there a little bit. Um, and those guys are certainly going to get involved as the season goes on. So, yeah, a lot of weapons. The biggest surprise for me was Darren Sproles getting as, as many touches as he did. What did he have, uh, like 14 touches on offense or 16, and then another four? Yeah, he had, well, he had 12. He had 12. He had nine, uh, nine carries and three catches. Okay, and I think he had a couple other targets, and then he had the four punt returns. So he was right. a, a much busier guy than I expected for a 36-year-old who we didn't even see at all in the preseason. Yeah, and, and Miles Sanders, you know, was the leading ball carrier with 11 uh, carries, but Jordan Howard was six carries for 44 yards at 7.3 yards a carry. That's pretty nice. Yeah, they were a little hesitant to use Howard uh, at the start, which surprised me, but he got some big yards, some big carries when they needed him, and he is a bull, so I, I like what they're going to do with him or what I think they're going to do with him. Sanders didn't really show a whole lot. He had one or two nice runs. And of course, he had the one touchdown run that got nullified by a penalty. But I, I do like Sanders. I think he's got what it takes. He's got the moves. The one nice run he did have, he showed some ability and, uh, you know, flexibility. So I'm looking forward to see what that trio of guys does during the course of the season. And maybe even they'll mix in Corey Clement at some point, too. Yeah, Clement, uh, no touches in this game. And uh, the other one that you did mention who was, was very quiet was that Nelson Aguilar with just two catches for 11 yards. So Nelson didn't even get involved in uh still big 300-plus yard game for Wentz. Yeah, and, you know, I heard on the radio that uh, Deshaun Jackson, being the veteran and the more mature guy that he is now, actually talked to Nelson after the game because Aguilar was feeling a little bit down, like he wasn't, you know, really involved in the offense that much and Jackson told him there's going to be weeks when you are going to be the guy and he was basically admitting that he's not going to get you know 10 targets every week Jackson and that Aguilar will get more opportunities to make plays and I think he's gonna so uh that was nice leadership on Jackson's part and I do think Aguilar is going to have some good games as the season goes on yeah me too and hey I, I can't go by without mentioning that Jason Peters uh Chet he he played basically what they call a, a perfect game, I think. He was rated the number one offensive tackle in the NFL this week by that pro football group that that uh, scores everybody. Jason Peters, number one this week. And I think he played every snap, which is just amazing, because that didn't happen much at all the last couple of years. 
Yeah, absolutely. A great game for him. But, hey, let's talk about the defense a little bit. Uh, a lot of questions, certainly in the first half. But when you look at the numbers at the end of the game, they only gave up 28 yards rushing on 13 carries. Uh, it helps in the second half when they weren't on the field an awful lot because the offense was doing what they were doing. Uh, you concerned about how that played out and the fact that the Redskins were able to throw the ball around a little bit? A couple of things concerned me. One was that they didn't get a whole lot of pressure on Case Keenum, uh, the D-line. So that, that was a concern. And I guess in part because of that, the secondary got burned a few times, especially in the first half, of course. So they got burned on a couple of big plays. And I'm a little worried about the secondary. i got to tell you, i got to be honest. Now, the D-line, I think they will be fine, even with the injury to Malik Jackson, the unfortunate injury that's going to keep him out the entire season. They have Timmy Jernigan, fortunately, as a backup to step right in there. They acquired another guy yesterday. And they can move guys around. I'm guessing they will activate Deshaun Hall this weekend. He had the great preseason. I think the D-line is going to be fine. I do, like I said, worry a little bit about the secondary. Uh, some of those guys aren't always great at covering, and we saw in that one play uh, where the tight end rumbled for the touchdown that they weren't great tacklers either. So, yeah, a couple sure. of concerns there, but I think they'll be okay. Well, they're going to get a lot better as the defensive line and the, the front seven gets better. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Certainly they need to stay, stay healthy. Losing Jackson uh, doesn't help that matter. But and you know what? They're going, to, they're going to get tested this week. They're going to get tested this week, Bill, because they're, they're going against Matt Ryan and a pretty good receiving core, you know, Julio Jones and uh, Muhammad and uh, their young tight end. So it's going to be a challenge defensively for this uh, Eagles defense this week. Absolutely. Got to put points on the board. Uh, you know, while I'm still sticking with defense wins championships, Ray uh, Ray agreed with me, but uh, I'm not sure you don't have to outscore them here at least during the season until you get to the playoffs. Yeah, I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair. Uh, probably a fun game to watch, so keep an eye for a lot of points Sunday night. Yep. Well, you uh, you had an opportunity to talk uh, Eagles-Falcons with Brian Finneran just today. So how did that go? What's Brian thinking? Are they fired up in Atlanta? They're coming off a loss. Yeah, this is going to be their season or home opener, rather, Sunday night in Atlanta. They got smoked by Minnesota the other day, but they're ready for the home opener. I think they'll be ready for the Battle of the Birds. Let's hear the interview right now. Time to talk a little football with a guy who's doing morning radio down in Atlanta these days, but he's a former Falcons wide receiver whose career began with the Eagles after starring as a Villanova Wildcat back in the late 90s under the legendary Andy Talley. Brian Finneran, how are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing pretty good, Brian. Pretty good. Uh, hey, I know the Falcons season didn't get off to the kind of start anyone down there wanted, a 28-12 thrashing up in Minnesota. What was the main problem, or was it a case of not much going right for the Falcons last Sunday? Yeah, I think that was a lot of it. I think playing a team like Minnesota on the road to open your season is always tough. And then when you give up a sack on the first play on a pretty simple rush where you just block the wrong guy, and then you go three and out and have your punt blocked, you've officially started your season on the wrong foot. They followed that up with an interception and a fumble and another interception before they could blink. It's 28 to nothing. So uh, Minnesota's a good football team, but the Falcons made them look a little better than they were. And uh, they got to clean some things up. And yeah. some of those things are setting the edges in the run game on the defensive side of the ball and then offensively being able to establish a run and, and limit the turnovers. Now, I saw that Matt Ryan threw for over 300 yards, but as long as completion was just 23 yards, is the Vikings' defense that good? It's good. I don't think it's that good. 
I think it's a really good defense, and it will be most of the season. But the Falcons were just, I don't know if they were uh, reluctant to throw the ball down the field. The Minnesota Vikings did a good job playing a two-man coverage where they would roll safety over Julio Jones, so he was always doubled, so it kind of took away long balls to him. And then have another safety back there helping out as well, limited what they were able able to do. And uh, really, Matt had a decent day as far as completion percentage, like you said, yards, threw a couple touchdowns, but it was too little, too late, and uh, became kind of a dink and dunk type deal. Brian, you probably remember Ray Dinger from your time at Villanova and the Eagles. And we had Ray on with us last week, before week one, of course, but he thinks the Falcons are a pretty good team who just might get back to the playoffs this year. I think the Falcons are going to be a team that's going to bounce back. I don't know if they're going to overtake the Saints. I think that's going to be a a real race in that division between those two. But I definitely think both of those teams will be in the postseason mix. Do you agree with Ray? I I would like to agree. I think I'm going to learn a lot on Sunday night when they see the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. It'll tell me uh, quite a bit. I don't think you can lose on the road like they did and come home and, and have another bad showing on Sunday night football. So I would love to think that this team's good enough to make the postseason. I think guys are healthy except for uh, losing our first-round draft pick, Chris Lindstrom, to a broken foot. He'll be out eight to ten weeks. But besides that, we got all our studs back on defense, our skill set on the offensive side of the ball when you talk about running back and receivers loaded. So really it's a matter of um, going out there and being productive on the field and making stuff happen and limiting the mistakes. They could have nine penalties and three turnovers and a blocked punt. Very tough to win in the NFL when you do that nonsense. Yeah. Now speaking of the receivers, the Vikings apparently did a pretty good job on Julio. Six catches, but just 31 total yards. I'm sure Dan Quinn and Dirk Cutter are aware of the fact that the Eagles' secondary gave up some big plays to the Redskins Sunday, some poor coverage, some poor tackling. Did you get to see any of that, and what might the Falcons do to take advantage of that, particularly you know, in terms of Julio, Mohamed Sanu, and the young tight end Austin Hooper? Yeah, I did get a chance to see a lot of it, but I did see the numbers and what Case Keenum was capable of doing was, was impressive. So they'll go back and fix their problems, too. The Eagles will, and, and obviously it was plays down the field and missed tackles, like you said. So Dan Quinn and Dirk Cutter are going to have to do all they can to take advantage of those guys. you got a couple of good players in the secondary up there in Philadelphia, but I think there are guys you can go after as well. So the biggest thing for this football team right now when you talk about the Atlanta Falcons starts at the line of scrimmage. they got to protect Matt Ryan, who I believe when he was protected was 25 of 30 in the game against Minnesota with two touchdowns. When he wasn't, on the other, I guess, uh, 17 plays or 20 plays, where they threw the ball as well, two interceptions and a handful of sacks. So it starts up front, and it starts uh, a very good test against the uh, Philadelphia Eagles defensive line, which seems to be pretty loaded. Yeah, I want to get your impressions of the Eagles, assuming he's healthy again, which he seems to be finally. How good a quarterback can Carson Wentz become? Oh, I think he's awesome. I think he's everything you want in a franchise quarterback. The size, the athleticism, the arm strength, and now learning under Doug Peterson, how to be a better quarterback in the NFL, how to protect yourself better, how to avoid those silly hits the young quarterbacks seem to take and not be able to avoid. When he can do that, and it looks like they started doing it after they got down 17 nothing. that West Coast offense is tough to deal with. You've seen it in Kansas City and New Orleans and even uh, New England for to a certain extent. Get the ball out of your quarterback's hands uh, and let the playmakers make plays, and he was, did a fantastic job of that last weekend when they made that comeback. I, I, I love everything Carson wants about as, as a quarterback. The Eagles seem to be going with a running back by committee approach. Newly acquired Jordan Howard, rookie Miles Sanders, and 36-year-old Darren Sproles. Can that work? Uh, yeah, it looked like it worked the other night. <laughs> I think it can. I haven't seen a lot of the um, the young buck yet from Sanders, but it seems like uh, they like him a lot. And I think when you throw different guys in there, it keeps the defense off balance, especially a shifty back like Darren Sproles, who doesn't seem to age. 
and coming off a couple injuries the last few years, it's pretty impressive to see what he's capable of doing. And he loves the game of football, and it's fun to watch him play. But, yeah, I think you can make that happen. I think Doug Peterson's a smart enough head coach, um, an offensive mind, I should say, to get guys in the right spots with the right matchups and use them effectively. And I think they'll have they'll be just fine. But most teams in the NFL now seem to be a running back by committee. So Sunday night is the home opener for Atlanta. What's the mindset of Falcons fans regarding the 2019 outlook? Well, we're not do or die yet, but the uh, sense of urgency is big time right now. Falcons fans are a finicky bunch as it is, as far as kind of all the transients that come down from different parts of the country. And uh, we have a nice core of diehard fans. The tailgating pregame will be off the hook. You'll have a bunch of people probably getting a little bit later than they probably should because they're enjoying the tailgate so much watching the 4 o'clock game. But once they get in their seats and uh, get rock and rolling and this team can show us something special, then you'll see something pretty sweet. So the fans are cautiously optimistic, I would say, and ready for something special to happen with this football team. And you guys have a pretty good baseball team, certainly. The Braves are up here in Philly this week, giving the Phillies fits. They've been playing great ball since June. They'll likely have the second-best record in the National League. And they might have three guys right around 40 home runs. Josh Donaldson, certainly a terrific addition. Are you surprised how well the season has gone for the Braves? We are a little bit. If you looked at our starting rotation uh, to start the season, I think we might have one or two guys that are still on that deal. I mean, it is really something what uh, Alex Anthopoulos and Brian Snicker have done, our GM and uh, our manager, to get this team where they are. Dealing with injuries as well throughout the course of the year, our starting shortstop, Danzy Swanson, was out for a little bit. Markakis, our right fielder, has been out. So they've made the right moves. they put the right guys in. And it's one of the first years in a long time where our lineup is potent. And you talked about those guys, Ronald Acuna, Freddie Freeman, and Josh Donaldson. I mean, forget about it. Throwing Ozzie Albies, who's got a little power, too. And um, you never know what they can do. So I think the greatest thing about this baseball squad is watching them at the plate and, and never knowing who, who's going to go yard, who's going to have a big hit, and who's going to show up. Because it seems like every single game, somebody different's doing it. Yeah, Freeman kills the Phillies all the time. Hey, Brian, one of your former teammates went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame last month. I'm talking, of course, about the great tight end Tony Gonzalez. You guys played together for a couple of years in Atlanta. Great player to watch. He does a nice job on TV. What sort of teammate was Tony? He was awesome. We got him late in his career, so he had some uh, a few different rules than the rest of us because he was special. And sometimes that happens in the NFL. Mm, yeah. Uh, got to take some time off and go visit, see his kids during training camp. But besides that, he was a hard worker. He uh, showed a lot of our young guys, young tight ends, young receivers, um, how to play the game, how to practice, how to attack the football. And Tony and I grew up in Southern California together, played basketball against each other. He was at Huntington Beach, and I was at Santa Margarita, both in Orange County. And um, we had some battles. And I'll tell you this, his basketball acumen and basketball skill set got him into the NFL Hall of Fame because he attacked the ball so well with two hands, and he worked on it. He worked on catching a lot. He was a great teammate. And, um, you know, I got a chance to play for a couple years with him, but he and Matt Ryan, we're awesome together for the five years they played with each other. Absolutely. One last thing, Brian. Can this be true that I see that you became a grandfather a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> it is true. <laughs> my uh, my daughter, Bryn, had uh, her first grandbaby. So baby boy is doing healthy, Brody. And uh, we're super happy and, and excited. Life throws you some curveballs, and you just kind of see if you can hit him out of the park every once in a while. Yeah, that's awesome. Brian, enjoy Sunday night's game, but not too much. Enjoy this season. Good <laughs> luck to the Braves in the postseason, and thanks again for visiting Philly Press Box Radio. It's always fun. I appreciate you. Hey, great stuff, Chad. Who who knew that those guys played against each other in high school? That's a great tidbit. Yeah, I did not know that. I knew they played together with the Falcons, of course. I didn't know they played basketball. I knew Tony Gonzalez was a real good basketball player, but I didn't know Brian played also and played against him. 
So, uh, yeah, that was a nice little find in there. Yes, it was. Hey, a couple other things I wanted to mention about the Falcons game. You know, uh, you didn't mention and Brian didn't mention, but another weapon they have that, that it, the Eagles certainly need to be concerned about is that Calvin Ridley. He is a good player. Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of talent down uh, in Atlanta, and I agree with Mr. Didinger that they're, they're going to have a better year this year than last year when they went 7-9, and nine, and they certainly got off to a rough start on Sunday, and let's hope that that rough start continues for a second game. Yeah, and and another tidbit, too, Chad, and looking at the stats, as Brian was talking, I was looking at the numbers, and, you know, as he said, Minnesota went up 28 to nothing, which certainly is where you want to be, but at the end of the day, Minnesota threw the ball 10 times and ran the ball 38 times uh, for 172 yards, four and a half yards a carry. Uh, Be interesting if the Eagles take that same approach and say, hey, let's just smash mouth this thing and uh, let's start out that way. But you can certainly do that with a 28-point lead, too. But uh, interesting stat, I think. Eight of ten for that Kirk Cousins for just 97 yards last week. (laughs) I did not realize they only threw the ball ten times. Wow, you don't see that much in today's NFL. That's right. Hey, a couple things uh, to close out before we we finish with our football talk for now I want to hit you with is one is Nick Foles and two is Antonio Brown's situation. Let's start start with Foles. Right, Foles, very sad to see him going down with a broken clavicle right around the end of the first quarter in his debut with Jacksonville. A great guy, and you know he's got to you know, feel horrible about that. Uh, I saw that Carson Wentz reached out to him. He's going to be out for a significant amount of time, and that, that's unfortunate because you go to a new team, you want to be there for him, for the team, and uh, it's just a shame that they're going to be without Nick Foles, who they paid a lot of money to get, so bummer. Yeah, and and then uh, let's let's forget the Antonio Brown legal issues. What about the Antonio Brown trade and all that release and nonsense? What in the world oh, do you make man. of all that? Well, apparently he wanted to be out of Oakland, so he was you know being even more of a jerk than usual, and he got his wish. He got released on Saturday. The Patriots gobbled him up. There was some speculation maybe that was his plan all along, and you know you wouldn't put it past. Bella Chicken Company to be working on something like that behind the scenes. Uh, and at the time, I thought, well, it's kind of a genius move on the part of the Patriots because they got a pretty darn good wide receiver who may make them an immediate Super Bowl even more of a contender than they already were. So I thought, yeah, it's probably a wise move for them to pick him up. But now with the legal issues that we don't want to get into because that would take way too much time, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, you know, and I, I guess the thing that troubles me about this, and maybe maybe it was just that the Raiders weren't smart enough to handle this thing correctly, there had to be some list they could have put him on to not pay him if they didn't want to pay him. Uh, because if he, became, if, if he played Monday, they had to pay him the money right. for the season. So it seems like, you know, they got lists for everything. It seems like there should have been some list they could have put him on basically suspended them for the season or some part of the season or whatever, saved their money instead of just giving them away, and they traded for them. So they lost the picks, they lost the guy, and then he ends up in New England. It's just, just an awful situation for the Raiders, who turned around and came back and beat the Denver Broncos on Monday night without him. Yes, they did. Uh, their final Monday night game out in Oakland. And uh, I'm not going to be upset if things don't work out for Antonio up in New England. No, 
<laughs> or or anything work out well in New England for for that matter. Well, Chet, we'll be talking certainly a whole lot more Eagles, Redskins, uh, or Eagles, Falcons uh, come next week. So let's roll through it and let's get on with what's going on over at the Irish Rover, and then we'll talk some Phillies. Let's take a break to talk about the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I tell you often, the Irish Rover has a terrific variety of food and drink with lots of specials every day and always 24 beers on tap. They have trivia every Wednesday evening, a DJ every Friday night, and oh, you'll find me there on Tuesday the 17th for the Rovers halfway to St. Paddy's Day Bash. Irish Fair plus Guinness and Jameson specials all day and all evening. Then coming up on Saturday the 28th, the Rover goes German for their annual Oktoberfest Bash. More on that next week. The Irish Rover is on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com Hi football fans, this is Merrill Reese and you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio It's good! Hey, nice touch. <laughs> little bonus from Merrill. Oh, beautiful, too. <laughs> All right. So, hey, Chad, as we mentioned in the opening, we're going to have some serious Phillies talk tonight with Phillies Nation's Brian Michael. And now is the time. Brian, yeah, hello. welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me back. Hey, Brian. Uh, you know what, Brian? You did such a great job with us back in May. We wanted to make sure we got you back on with us before this Philly season wrapped up, so here you are. And, boy, have things changed since your May 22nd yeah. visit. At that time, the Phils were in first place. They were 28-21. and 21. They had a game-and-a-half lead on Atlanta and a nine-game lead on the Nationals. What the heck has happened over the last three-and-a-half months, Brian? Well, yeah, the Phillies, and they didn't just, get worse right after May. They uh, continue to do well for another month, month and a half. But, yeah, once the All-Star break hit, the Phillies have just, uh, you know, reverted to their inconsistent self. Uh, We all knew they were uh, lacking the starting pitching, and that came to the fore throughout the season. And Reese Hoskins had a little slump there uh, that I think brought the team down to, you know, both him and Harper. But they, I think, turned it around, but the starting pitching was uh, remained. That is a big, big uh, issue that the Phillies have and that they didn't address at the trade deadline. So it continues uh, past the problem, and it's festering now, and it may cause bigger ripples in the offseason. Brian, the, uh, I don't even know where to start with this team, I tell you. But let's start with the injuries, and, and I don't know if we're going to call them excuses, but – how does this fare for the manager when he really doesn't have anybody to put out there? I mean, sure. Every night, every night there's a problem. It seems with with that it, bullpen. It's true, and you know, Gabe Kapler has played the hand that he's been dealt. You know, he hasn't played it perfectly. Uh, we've definitely seen some mistakes here and there, but he definitely didn't have a good hand to begin with. They need more players, you know, definitely starting pitching, like I said, but, you know, I think uh, Kapler's done okay with what he's had, but he just hasn't gotten the help from the front office, and after a big offseason, I was really surprised they didn't follow it up uh, at the trade deadline to, to add some more, at least arms there, you know, a lot of minor deals, you know, Jason Vargas, 
isn't really going to uh, be here much longer or really do what the Phillies need, another consistent starter other than Arenola, and they have absolutely none. So, you know, injury is one thing, but I think it's more just the lack of uh, talent uh, in certain positions that they just haven't been able to fill over the whole course of the season. Brian, I think I read the Phillies have used something like 30 or 31 pitchers this year, which is just hard to hard to fathom. i got to be honest, some of these guys they've used the last few weeks, Blake Parker and Nick Vincent, I know they both did well last night, but I see them coming into the game, and first I say, who the hell is that? And then I say, why is he on this team? So I'm sure you feel my pain, and let's go to the offseason. What is going to be the plan? Are they going to go after a number one like a Garrett Cole? Are they going to spend a small fortune to get somebody like that? Or what do you think? I'm, I'm going to make you the temporary GM, Brian. What do you sure. do in the offseason? Go ahead. Sure. Well, it, it's, a, it's a good question uh, just starting from the strategy perspective. I think John Middleton will have a, a big question on his shoulders. Are they going to continue uh, what they started in the offseason, which I think they will? Um, that might also include uh, giving Gabe Kapler an extension if they want to continue this experiment. I think he's been loyal to, you know, their statistic-based approach. They've been, he's been loyal to, you know, what the GM and ownership want to do. Um, so he's been a company man. They might want to continue that. I think bringing uh, uh, Charlie Manuel in definitely helped from the player and giving more of an experience side. But I think that's, you know, number one, the strategy. Um, and I do think they'll continue. I mean, they went all in this past off season, so I think they have to uh, continue and get another starting pitcher, um, whether it's Garrett Cole. Um, we just wrote on philliesnation.com yesterday about Steven Strasburg uh, yeah, potentially opting out of his, his contract. So he might be out there, you know, both him and Anthony Rendon um, uh, potentially uh, could be uh, – another former national come uh, our way. Maybe Bryce Harper could help with the recruitment there. Um, you have Cole Hamels, too. You know, he's becoming available. And, yes, they absolutely need another front-end starter. So that has to be the priority. Um, you know, we talked about the bullpen. They certainly need a third baseman, um, a closer specifically, too. But starting pitching um, will have to be where it comes from. And uh, Jake Arrieta will uh, – likely be coming off the books too so um they'll have a little bit more money to spend there and you know cole hamels like i said certainly a fan favorite he, he's towards the end of his career but um garrett cole i think would be a great idea uh, even dallas teichel which i don't know why they didn't get him in the first place um and you know cole strasburg they're going to have to put out a lot of money, you know, Clayton Kershaw type money for another uh, pitcher. And it might have to be a long-term deal, which, you know, is a little more um, uh, risky with a starting pitcher, but it's what they have to do. If, if they're trying to win, if they've already spent this amount of money, um, they might as well go all in at this point. Well, Brian, 18 games to go before tonight. Um, if we, if we had a crystal ball, uh, who's your team MVP? Team MVP, um, well, Aaron Noll is certainly a good choice. Scott Kinnery's had a great season, but, you know, I think JT Romuto, um has to have it. Uh, just from what he's been doing on the offensive side, the defensive side, uh, he's been a real uh, positive in the lineup throughout the entire uh, season. Uh, whether, you know, even if he's not hitting great, 
the defensive aspects are just amazing. Um, so I think Kirill Muto, he was obviously the all-star this year, uh, but he's continued to hit. You know, if he, he, he could finish with 30 home runs perhaps. So um, I think he's a nice surprise. Uh, I think Harper certainly um, fulfilled his expectations for the first year. You know, he didn't make his entire $330 million contract this year, but uh, it was a fine first year if he finishes, um, you know, with the stats he has now. Um, so it's almost what you expect. I think uh, JT um, gave us a little bit more than, than what we realized. So certainly provided good value um, and, you know, good pickup in the off season. So just, you know, another reason that I think they need to go all in uh, with some starting pitching uh, this coming off season, uh, because these free agent pickups, uh, for the most part, have, have worked out. Segura, Harper, uh, Real Muto, um, you know, not bad moves right there. So I, I'd look for them to try to do that again, but this time on the pitching side this offseason. Let me just add, too, um, because I don't think the pitching is going to come from the minor leagues. You know, um, we haven't seen any breakout seasons uh, down there. Maybe Spencer Howard, but he's still – um, a little bit away from uh, being an everyday starter. So I do think they're going to have to go uh, look outside the organization for some starting pitching. Absolutely. Well, as a follow, uh, how disappointing has Reese Hoskins been hitting just 236 and, and 27 home runs? And I don't have it right in front of me, but most of them 27 came early in the year. He has just yeah. been awful, awful yeah. the second half of the season. Yes, yes, uh, definitely had a, a bad second half, and um, you know he he did last year and, and the year before when he first started he had hot summers and it wasn't uh, a problem finishing, but yeah, it, his slump really coincided with the Phillies uh, dropping in the standings, so I think it had uh, bigger effects than just him. Um, I think you could see the frustration every day, so that was kind of a drag in the clubhouse, um, and. He just wasn't able to fix it. And, you know, I'm not a hitting expert, but you could see it at the plate. He was struggling. He he was uppercutting. Uh, he was swinging at some bad pitches. Um, hopefully Charlie Manuel helped turn that around. You know, he has been a little bit better recently. But, yep. yeah, his numbers are a lot uh, lower than what they look to be. And when you talk about minor leaguers, again, we do have some decent uh, hitters coming up, Alec Bohm especially, and he potentially could be the first baseman of the future. So um, when you factor that in, you know, you really need to have Reese Hoskins kind of have a rebound year next year to to solidify his his spot on the roster. Hey, Brian, it's pretty much a sure bet that O'Double won't be a Philly next year. Correct me if I'm wrong, but McCutcheon, even if healthy, is probably too old to play center field every day. So I ask you two things. Who's the center fielder next year, and can the Phillies somehow re-sign Corey Dickerson and keep him in the lineup somehow because he's been terrific? Sure. Yeah, no, um, we have uh, definitely talked about that a few times on Phillies Nation, uh, that they should uh, absolutely try to re-sign Corey Dickerson, um, not to mention his his uh, veteran uh, kind of experience as well. Um, so I think he's in there for, for the outfield spot. Adam Hazley um, has done all right. You know, if it was a McCutcheon-Hazley platoon next year, I'd be okay with that. Um, but, you know, I definitely want to see Dickerson in the mix. And, uh, you know, I'd be okay with that. But like you said, I don't think McCutcheon w- would even play, you know, start 
100 games. So he might be more of a bench guy uh, coming out uh, next next season. Okay, so, yeah, have those three guys and for those two positions, and everybody will be happy, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah and obviously Harper, too. So, uh, you know, yeah. outfield I'm not as worried about. Uh, third base, first base, like you said, with Reese um, are more of the positions that we're looking at. Speaking of Corey Dickerson, is there is there a problem uh, with him that that the regular people like us don't know about? He's been in the league seven years. He's been with four teams: Colorado, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh. Now the Phillies. Statistically, he's a pretty solid guy and, and has been. But why do you bounce around to uh, to four teams in seven years? Right. Yeah. No, I'm not sure of that. Um... He, everyone seems to like him in the clubhouse. I, I hear that a lot, that uh, at least on this team, he's doing well. And in Pittsburgh, he received a, a, a nice reception uh, when they played out there. So, um, you know, I think that uh, it might just be a, a matter of circumstance with trades and, and where he was with his contracts. But um, no, nothing that I know of. If something pops up, we'll definitely let you know. Keep uh, tuned to our Twitter account for any uh, news like that for sure. Hey, Brian, a couple of things. First of all, I just want to say that you probably pissed a lot of people off when you mentioned the possibility of Gabe Kapler getting an extension, but we'll just leave <laughs> that there. And secondly, I know they're still just two games out of the second wild card spot right now, but their pitching, as we said, is often brutal. They have a killer schedule ahead, including an 11-game road trip. Is it time to give up hope or not? No, no, not not at all. I mean, two games, two games at least, that gets you to the final week uh, before we start giving up hope. You know, they don't look good. Uh, I definitely don't enjoy watching the games uh, night to night. Uh, I turn them off several times uh, in a given week. But at two at two games out, uh, you can't give up hope. Um, they're, they're in it, right? Sure, we, we would have expected them to, you know, be a little bit higher in the standings, so it has been a disappointing season. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, I'm saying there's a chance. Uh, and the Cubs also don't have the easiest schedule. They, they've got St. Louis for uh, seven games uh, throughout the rest of the season. So, you know, St. Louis is still fighting to, to secure that play, uh, first, base, first place spot. So, no, I would definitely uh, be in it. It's not going to be pretty. It's definitely not going to be pretty, as we've seen the past <laughs> couple of weeks. But uh, it's it's worth it's worth tuning in. I I think so because just the stats alone, two two games out isn't terrible, and they got a lot of um, you know games uh, in the division. They're playing uh, the Nats for five games, yeah. um, so that could help. Um, you know, they got the the two games against Boston, which I was actually up in Fenway when they played the two up there, and they swept those two games very surprisingly. So maybe they have the Phillies number. Um, now with uh, the, the recent Boston developments, they might have some players uh, uh, that they're going to let go this offseason too. So you look at uh, J.D. Martinez, Mookie Betts even, uh, if you want to talk about a center fielder, um, they might be possibilities coming as well. All right. Very interesting. Thanks for having us. Having me. All right. PhilliesNation.com. Thanks, Brian. Do appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. See ya. Hey, Chad, if you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you. All-state insurance in Westchester, PA. 
Yeah, absolutely, Bill. One of the best benefits of having an all-state insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoy, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs. Someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. Call Dave today at 610-430-0700. Dave Lavoy at Allstate in Westchester, 610-430-0700. And, Bill, this little TV show debuted this week back in 1966, and I know you were watching. I just I absolutely was watching. I was I'm, I was just a lad, but I was watching, and uh, we we watched them uh, pretty regularly in my house at that time. 1966. And speaking of music, Bill, we've got some more for you right here because it's time. Time to welcome back our fantasy football guru, Fred Hugo, to break down week two and tell us how he did in week one. Fred, welcome back. So, guys, a question. So, that monkey, my mom always sang that, that monkey. I always thought it was a song. It was a TV show, too? Well, yeah, it was a band song to the TV show. It was on for two years back in 66 through 68, and that was the opening theme song. Oh, okay. So they were okay. Gotcha. I, I got they, they were a band. I thought they were a band. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. But then I, yeah, the way you was they being described, I thought it was a TV together. show too. They were put together for the TV show, and they actually didn't really. Some of them didn't really know that much about the whole music process, and uh, they ended up, you know, becoming a real band, and of course, you know, having a lot of success for the next forty, fifty years. Wow. <laughs> my mom always well, joked that let's when we were messing around. Fantasy football, my friend. Anything uh, yes. anything surprising other than Lamar Jackson That's going out That's my surprise, time? Bill. That's my – and it's not a surprise to everyone, but that – he was one guy I probably would have stayed away from in the draft. And um, he's, he's already picked up in like 80% of leagues. But, you know, that was very surprising. I, but then again, Miami, I think, has mailed it in already. There's reports yeah. that most of their players want to be traded out of there before the game even started. So – We'll see, because yep. I, I I don't fully believe that yet. But there was a lot. There, other than that, there, there were surprises. I I had a bad week myself, but there's a lot of people in the waiver wire this week I wanted to talk about that that are out there now that that could be good for the year. Well, I'll tell you what. You go in and do your thing, and uh, tell us what we should be doing this week. All right, cool. So at, at quarterback, uh, Marcus Mariota had a 30 plus week, and he he has had weeks where he's consistently been good. He's in 6.2% of leagues, and that's based off ESPN's numbers. So he's a guy out there you might want to grab. Uh, Matthew Stafford's been consistent for, for a lot of times in this league. He seems to have some receivers. Danny Amendola seems to take over that Golden Tate role. So he's available in 16, 16 point – he's taken up in 16.3% of leagues. Um, so he, he's available. Uh, moving over to the running back position, um, Malcolm Brown, he's getting a lot of the carries uh, on, in, on top of Gurley, so he's a guy you might want to might want to pick up because it seems like they're lightening the load for Gurley, and um, and if Gurley gets hurt, you know that that guy's the number one guy. He, he's available in most leagues. 
Um, Ronald Jones, he was a rookie last year for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's a running back and available. He was supposed to be really good last year, and he just didn't pan out. He had about 13 carries, 75 yards this week. So under Bruce Arians, they may be using him the right way. Um, moving over to the receivers, uh, a huge, another guy that, that was drafted last year or two years ago, I think, John Ross had a huge game with A.J. Green out. He had seven yeah. catches, 158 yards, two touchdowns. He had like 30-plus. He's a guy you might want to grab. Marquise Brown, Danny Amadola, who, who I spoke about earlier, he was supposed to be the man in New England, and then Edelman just, just got – when he got hurt, took that role. But he was supposed to be the, the Edelman there originally when they signed him. So he might be a good pickup. Um, and then an injury bug, Nicole Hardman is going to be taking over. He's a Georgia guy. He's like a mini Tyreek Hill. With Tyreek Hill out, he's a he's a guy you want to grab on the waiver wire and start for the next few weeks. Uh, tight end, TJ Hawkinson, who I brought up from Iowa last week. He had a great week, six catches, 131 yards, and a touchdown. He's still available in, in 70% of leagues. You know, he's on – so that that's another great pickup. Uh, Darren Waller's a tight end from the Raiders. He was talked about in Hard Knocks. Significantly through to Hard Knocks, he had a great week. You might want to grab him. He's available. And then as far as defenses go, you really don't know with that. I talked about that before because that, that's going to be developed over time. Anyone could have a hot week. But the 49ers had a hot week with 30-plus points. The Titans had a good week. The Packers looked really good on um, – was that Thursday night, and then uh, I noticed that the Ravens, who consistently are good, they're available still in 50% of ESPN leagues. So that's another another pickup that you might want to look into if you're looking in fantasy. And that's kind of all I got for this week. All right, good stuff. Well, let's make our uh, NFC East picks. Uh, Fred, you picked with your heart last week. You took the gosh awful Giants against Dallas and <laughs> go one of one. <laughs> Well, Chet, you and I both went two and zero. Yeah, I, I made myself believe that too. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna I made myself believe it wasn't my heart. I was like, nah. I logically put it together. No shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what you do this week. Here we go. We got Bills at Giants. The Bills are minus two and a half. Dallas at the Redskins. Dallas is minus five. And the Eagles at the Falcons. Eagles minus one and a half. Fred. Who do you like in Bills Giants? Man, the Bills were pretty awful last week too. <laughs> Giants are at home. I like Josh Allen. I think he's gonna have a better year. I'm gonna take the Bills here. I'm gonna take the Bills in a in a kind of an awful game. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to watching any of that game and I probably won't. It'll be on it'll be available to me, but I'm gonna probably pass. I will take Buffalo to win that one also. I am going to take the Giants and Saquon Barkley is going to have a huge, huge day. I'm going Giants. Okay. All right. Dallas at the Redskins. Dallas minus five. Fred? It's surprising, a five-point spread. I I would think it would be more if they're – I guess the Redskins did have a lead on us. So, I'm going to take the Cowboys here. I don't don't think um, the Redskins were great defensively, you know, once Zeke gets going. As well as you know, Maury Cooper. I'm not. I'm not a big Dak guy, but I, I just don't see how Dallas can lose this game. Dallas. I'm throwing up a little bit in my mouth for the Dick doing this, but I got to pick Dallas for the second week in a row. Ugh. Cowboys. 
Yeah, I have to take Dallas, too. I, I don't know that I'm taking Dallas. I'm just not taking Washington because they're not very good, at least right now. Or at least they didn't show it last week. So I've got to go with Dallas as well. And that gets us to the Eagles at the Falcons. Eagles minus one and a half. And as we've said, um, Falcons coming off a road loss to their home opener, night game, and the Eagles are coming to town. Who do you like? The Eagles, I like the Eagles. They're favored on the road. Carson Wentz is going to be in the running for MVP. I'm, I'm excited for the season. I got them 13-3 and three on the year. They're going to have to win road games here. I'm going to take the Eagles. Let's do 27-20. Okay. I saw this was one of the highest over-under totals for the week. I think it was 51.5. So they're expecting a lot of points to be scored Sunday night, and I agree. I think both secondaries can be had. And I'm taking the Eagles, but I think it's going to be a high-scoring, tight game. Eagles, 31-27. to 27. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm not sure this isn't a trap game for the Eagles going down there for this, as we said, night home opener. Um, the Eagles aren't going to win them all. This would be one. I think if I were going to circle a loss, this would be one of them. Um, but I like the way the offense looked last week. I'm going to go with the Eagles, and I'm going to agree with you, Chad. I think it's going to be high scoring. I think it's going to be close. Um, but I'm going to go 38-34 Eagles. Wow. Lots of score. Lots of score. It should be a scoring. fun game. And, hey, Fred, and, and, you know, it's one, it's one of those yeah. games, I think, that if the Eagles did not win this game, I wouldn't be surprised and it wouldn't be the end of the world. There's a lot of emotion for Atlanta this week to uh, to get this thing kicked off. Yeah, I'm with you. It's going to be a fun game. And, hey, Fred, i got to mention, I, sorry I didn't mention this sooner, but in light of all the attention the Eagles offensive line got for their naked picks in the ESPN body issue, we've made an arrangement for a Philly Press Box Radio body issue, the three of us, in an upcoming <laughs> issue of Field and Stream, just so you know. Be prepared. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, I'll, I'll be absent. I'll be absent that day. <laughs> I, might, I might visit Bill in Florida. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be absent that what, that day. Hey, Fred, before we let you go, uh, we missed this last week, and we covered for you after we, we hung up with you. Uh, give a shout-out to where people can follow you, your Fred and Butter stuff, and uh, where you can get a good look at what, what all you have going on. Well, I got the Fred and Butter going on. You can find that on, on Facebook at fredandbutter.com. Um, and then always on Twitter at Fred Hugo underscore, and then face, and that's the same as my Instagram, Facebook Fred Hugo as well. And then on uh, Thursday nights, I do a show with Edge of Philly Sports that I'll be on every Thursday night at nine thirty. Um, that that's a pretty pretty cool show too to catch me and, and my uh, my takes on things. So I heard thanks. you have a good guest that. on there tomorrow. Do you have a good guest tomorrow night? Tomorrow night, uh, what do I got? To, oh, tomorrow night is. Uh, you're not oh, talking about on. you, right? It's me. <laughs> no, that's next Thursday. That's oh, what that's I said, next the following Thursday? Thursday. Yeah, oh, you're kidding. That's, that's what, the following Thursday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, i, I got to check my calendar now. I thought it was tomorrow right, we'll, night. We'll work it out. Hey, can okay. you guys yeah, get so your next, schedules together? We, well, at least we'll definitely, we definitely have Bill calling in next Thursday, at least, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I thought it was tomorrow, too. Well, Fred, there you go. Thanks again for joining us. We'll get our schedule straight. We'll see you next week. All right. Sounds good. See you next week. Thanks. Thanks, All righty. Hey, Chad, great guests again tonight. Tell us who you got coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week. 
Next week, Bill, we're going to talk a little more Phillies baseball with a former Phils pitcher who happened to throw a no-hitter back in 1991 and helped end of that 1993 pennant. Currently a post-game analyst on NBC Sports Philadelphia, Tommy Green going to join us live. We will also talk Eagles football, uh, hopefully about a week to win over Atlanta, as we are joined by Philly.com's Paul Domowich. He's back with us again. Domo and Tommy Green. There you go. Great. And Fred Hugo will be back as well. Absolutely. Awesome. Hey, Chad, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autographed memorabilia for all the Philly sports teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room. That's right, PPCC 118 Raz Room on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Mr. Chesco, do you have a parting shot tonight or any question well, we might have missed? Oh, we got lots to talk about still, but yeah, let's do the parting shot. The 76ers' Mike Scott, as you know, got into a physical confrontation with some tailgaters in the parking lot before Sunday's Eagles-Redskins game. Scott is from Northern Virginia and a lifelong Washington fan, so it's not necessarily wrong of him to wear a Redskins jersey to the game, though it might not have been overly wise of him to heavily promote his visit with jersey on ahead of time on social media. But that doesn't mean a particular group of Lot F1 tailgaters were right in any way for their actions. One of the group's members admitted on the radio on Tuesday that some of his group used racial slurs directed at Scott. They claim they didn't know it was him at the time, as if that matters regarding the racial slurs. There's also audio tape of that same group shouting derogatory, extremely vulgar diatribes against other visiting fans. After finding out it was a Sixers player they were targeting and having been blasted by some local radio folks, some of these tailgaters have since expressed remorse. But do you think they would you know, be doing that? Would that be the case had they not been identified by other fans or a radio host? I have my doubts. Look, good-natured ribbing of visiting fans is fine. It's almost expected. But I've never understood the -the over-the-top, vulgar, sometimes physical abuse of visiting fans wherever it happens. Philly sports fans already have a bad reputation around the country. Do you really need to reinforce that view? No, you don't. And what the heck is with the racial slurs? It doesn't matter if it's a football or basketball player, football player, or a guy walking down the street. What the heck is exactly. that about? Exactly. Exactly. Let's and get, let's and get don't long blame alcohol. All that. Yeah, just stop it. Try to behave. Yeah, that's right. Uh, how about some crap we missed? You said we got some more, few more things on your list. Let's do it. Yeah, you guys, uh, you and Brian Michael, I think, kind of mentioned this in passing. The Red Sox canned their president of baseball operations, David Dombrowski, less than a year after they won the World Series. I know not everyone in the organization got along with him, but still, the guy helps you, you know, put the team together. You win a World Series, and now he's gone. Meanwhile, we're still, you know, stuck with who we have. Uh, tennis over the weekend. I'm sure you watched a lot of tennis over the weekend, Bill. Uh, Serena still didn't get that 24th title. She may never get it. Great men's final Sunday. I was watching more of that than the late football. Rafa Nadal over Daniil Medvedev, the angry Russian. That was fun. And the Sixers, Bill, are putting a statue of Charles Barkley outside their practice facility in Camden, which I think is pretty nice. Oh, one other thing before I forget. This fine business, one of our retro fake sponsors, is open for business 
once again today. It was damaged by fire six weeks ago, so we need to play just a snippet of this real quickly. Everybody who knows goes to Melrose. Everybody who knows goes to Melrose. Everybody who knows goes to the Melrose Island Restaurant for a most in quality. There you go. There you go. Hey, just some crap we missed. One thing I have, Chet, because you know I like the stats. This week in the NFL, how about how about just a couple numbers, passing numbers? Andy Dalton, 418. Dak Prescott, 405. Matt Stafford, 385. Drew Brees, 370. Patrick Mahomes, 378. Case Keenum, 380. Lamar Jackson, 324. Phillip Rivers, 333. It's a madhouse. It's a it's a football's flying all over the country. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, yep. just like baseball with the home runs, is your people like the offense, and that's what we're going to see, I guess, going forward. Yeah, that's right. And Marlon Mack was the leading r- rusher this week for the Indianapolis Colts at 174 yards, led the NFL in r- rushing this week. Interesting. Hey, mm. Chet, one other thing we missed, uh, and it's I'm not going to put it in the crap we missed. I'm going to say we missed. Happy birthday in heaven to my dad, number 90 today. Oh wow! We have, yes. a, good we have a little I bit of a heavy heart here in uh, the, in the press box. Had the pleasure of and meeting with you, that, Dad, Mr. Chesco, we have reached the top of our hour. Let's thank tonight's special guests, Brian Finner and Brian Michael, Fred Hugo, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Raz Room, and Dave Lavoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chet Chesko, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, September 18th at 7 p.m. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com, slash phillypressboxradio, or you can find our podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, and a whole bunch of others. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans, and go Birds!